Okay, good morning, Shabbat Shalom, and welcome to United Israel World Union. This is our Sabbath morning scripture study. Thank you so much for joining us. We are presently in a study of the prophets called Prophet. I called it that. It works. It's appropriate. And we are in the 17th class in the Prophet series. And I'm teaching what I've called a subset or a sub-series within the larger Prophet series. And I'm dealing with the subject matter called the servant within Isaiah. The servant within Isaiah. And today's class will be the fourth in that sub-series on the servant in Isaiah. So I'm excited about today's class, and uh, I want to get right into the material today. This is a fascinating subject uh, that I've been looking at for probably 30-some-odd years, I guess, off and on. Uh, one of the things that I hope to get into over the next couple of weeks is some material that I found that I had forgotten so I have a nice f set of file cabinets. Thank you, Lyndon, for uh, supplying those. And I was able to organize all the files that I've had that go back to a time when I didn't even have gray hair. And some of those files contain faxes back and forth, uh, some that I found this week in a file on the servant in particular. I don't think I've looked at these files in 25 years. But they're faxes from uh, James Tabor, and so I plan to get into some of that material. Uh, but you would be, uh, or I was absolutely floored when I found this file. I don't know where it's been all this time. So I intend to really explore this material, and I am glad that you're here to explore it with me because uh, some of that's been left alone so long that it's going to feel brand new even to me. But one of the things that I wanted to kick off with uh, this morning is to sort of catch us back up. We're dealing with these servant songs, as they are called. So primarily the teaching thus far in my, th my three classes uh, on the servant in Isaiah, the three classes that came before today's class, I've tried to follow to some degree uh, the, the servant songs as identified uh, by Doom, by Bernhard Doom in 1892 in a book that he wrote, the English translation of which is the book of Isaiah, where he identified four songs or four poems within what scholars call Deutero-Isaiah or Second Isaiah uh, that he feels are very much uh, descriptive of the servant, the servant in Isaiah. And those songs... If you want to write them down, if you don't already have them in your notes, Isaiah chapter 42, uh, verses 1 through 4, Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 6, Isaiah 50, verse 4 through 7, and Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. And as I said, the first class, I tried to at least follow that order. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4, and all the way up. So you might be saying, well, today we're going to spend all day in Isaiah 52 through 53. We are going to get there today. Um, but I wanted to just stress this idea that I've made, tried to make pretty clear throughout the series, and that is that beyond those four texts or beyond those four sections of text, you have to really consider quite a bit more of Isaiah. You have to look at more than just those four sections of text in order to totally understand um, the servant within Isaiah. Now, following Doom, following Bernhard Doom's assessment and his identification of these four songs or four poems about the servant, Almost without exception, though sometimes with slight modification, other scholars have followed Bernhard Doom. In other words, once he established in 1892 that we have these four servant songs, others followed and they've always referred to the servant songs of Isaiah. Generally, those four identified by Doom are listed. 
there have been other scholars who have proposed other texts under this, uh, this category of the servant songs. But I've tried to show in my previous three classes that there is more, much, much more on the servant within Isaiah than these four sections of text. If we're going to get a full picture of the servant, we have to consider all these other texts. Now, beginning today, I'm going to really begin to start to focus on the identity of the servant. The identity of the servant according to the text. Now, the reason this is important is because this is one of the most controversial, one of the most debated, one of the most discussed in ancient times all the way up to the modern times, the identity of the servant. It's, I mean, it's one of the great religious questions of our time. But this servant described in Deutero-Isaiah, chapter 40 through 66, and by the way, I've mentioned this before, but some even divide this section of Isaiah into another section called Trito, three, number three Isaiah. I'm not going to talk so much about the academic approach to Isaiah scholarship, but what I really want to do is just inform you that we're really primarily dealing with the section Isaiah 40 through 66. Now, if you look at Isaiah uh, totally, you'll find the word servant occurs quite often, uh, but most of which uh, takes place in this section that we're dealing with, 40 through 66. And there is a passage in Isaiah that calls uh, uh, David the servant, and Isaiah is called the servant. You remember when God says, my servant Isaiah has walked naked these three years and so forth. So Isaiah is referred to as a servant. So when we talk about the identity of the servant in Isaiah, I want you to understand I'm, I'm not trying to define servant every time it occurs in Isaiah, nor every time that it occurs in the Bible. Now, I'm changing our focus to concentrate on the text within Isaiah, Deutero-Isaiah, and the identity of the servant in there. Twenty times, twenty times in ten chapters of Isaiah 40 through 66, twenty times in ten of those chapters, servant appears. All right? In Isaiah 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 48, 49, uh, Isaiah chapter 50, Isaiah chapter 52, and Isaiah chapter 53 all contain the servant. And we get clues as we work through these texts. Now, you heard me just list off 10 chapters, and I told you that Bernhard Doom identified four songs. But you can't get it all from the four songs. You have to look at everything that Second Isaiah tells us about the servant if you're even going to think about getting close to understanding the identity of the servant about whom uh, we read in this Second Isaiah. Additionally, in addition to the fact that we have mention of the servant in uh, 20 times in 10 chapters in Deutero-Isaiah, we also have words and phrases that are scattered throughout 2nd Isaiah that while it doesn't call the person being described or the person speaking as servant, the language, the words, the phrases, the uh, the language points us and makes us, forces us to say that uh, this is talking about the servant as well. So for the first three classes, what I really did was I pulled in all of these information, these data points, and I began to lay out for us everything that we need to know about the servant, almost. Today's class is going to be to sort of fill in and remove some of the question marks. 
so that we're much more able to clearly make a determination as to who is being described. Now, this is why it's important to pay attention. So, um, these words and phrases we've gone through, now it's time to begin pulling things back together. Now, these words and phrases and clues, they have to be brought in if, if we're going to understand this. We've tried to do that, so beginning today, we'll take all the evidence we'll begin to lay it out in a systematic way, pointing towards an identity that I think makes the most sense. Now, in several passages, several passages in 2nd Isaiah, we have, without any doubt, a name associated with the servant. Because of these texts, some people have said every time we read about the servant in 2nd Isaiah, it's talking about this name. So we're going to go through these. Now today, I'm probably going to use my JPS. Even though it's not my favorite translation, it's not as literal as I prefer. Uh, If I get disgusted by not being as literal, or I shouldn't say disgusted, but if I get a little bit... uh, you know, maybe I want something more, I'll I'll go to the Hebrew. I have it right here. But I want you to go through. We're going to go through and we're going to make sure that everyone knows every text in 2nd Isaiah that tells us who the servant is, clearly. Like, you don't have to guess. We're going to discuss some of the different options and we're going to do a survey over the next couple of weeks of what other people have said. And then we're going to let you decide. Who is it? Who is this? All right, so go with me this morning, first thing, to Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah 41 and verse 8. Isaiah 41 uh, verse 8. And we're looking for an identity here. We want the Bible to tell us who is the servant. Does the servant have a name? Here we go, Isaiah 41, verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, seed of Abraham, my friend. Pretty specific, right? Any questions, any ambiguity? There is a very clear, defined identity here. Verse 9, you whom I drew from the ends of the earth and called from its far corners, to whom I said, you are my servant, I chose you, I have not rejected you. And it goes on. I'm not reading everything within the white spaces. We've done that in previous classes. I want you to have, if you're taking notes, um, you, you would write, the identity of the servant this would be a category called Israel slash Jacob, right? Seed of Abraham. This is a literal thing. This is not a uh, uh, sort of a metaphor. It's not some sort of picture, some type, some shadow. We're talking about literally the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is Israel. You, Israel, are my servant. Look at Isaiah uh, 43. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 10. It says, My witnesses are you, declares the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen, to the end that you may take thought and believe in me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, and after me none shall exist. And you go, wait a minute. But there's no name mentioned there. It just says, you are my witnesses. So we have to work back through. I've included this because look at verse 1 of 43. This is where the space begins. The section within the Hebrew Bible begins in verse 1. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I will redeem you, I have singled you out by name, you are mine. And it continues to talk about 
a particular group known as Jacob, known as Israel. So by the time you get to verse 10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen. You see, we're clearly talking about Jacob and Israel. Is that clear? Is that fair enough? Another, another one in the column of servant equals Jacob slash Israel. Now, again, even though it's not specifically named, I wanted to include that one. Um, now, I do want you to look back up at verse 8 because I'll get to this in a few minutes as a clue. Uh, but notice in verse 8, setting free that people blind though it has eyes and deaf though it has ears. Interesting language. Who is it that's talking about you're going to set free those that are blind and deaf? That's a major theme uh, within Second Isaiah as we will uh, look at just very shortly. Now go with me uh, to verse uh, chapter 44. Chapter 44 of Isaiah, and it begins in verse 1 after the white space. But hear now, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Remember in the previous study, we talked about this word chosen is sometimes translated as elect. Now, a lot of people spiritualize this idea of being the elect of God. But if you read particularly Deutero-Isaiah, what you come away with is very clearly Israel is the chosen. Israel is the elect. Jacob, Israel, chosen, elect, my witnesses. And here uh, on our third passage, it says that Jacob is the servant. Okay, so, but here now, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I've chosen, thus said the Lord, your maker, your creator, who has helped you since birth, fear not, my servant Jacob, Yeshurun, whom I have chosen, even as I pour water on thirsty soil and rain upon dry ground, so I will pour my spirit on your offspring and so forth. This is a fascinating passage outside the scope of this class, but it looks forward to a time when the descendants of Jacob and Israel are scattered among the nations, somewhat in dry ground, and the Spirit is, drawn, is poured out upon them, and the, the picture that Isaiah paints for us is that they'll begin to spring up. Like, they'll begin, imagine any of you have ever planted a garden, you plant the seed and you cover the soil and you tend it and you care for it and you water it, you put it in the right sun and ultimately God causes it to come forth. And notice, I love this, that these, these who come forth, these literal physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will begin to wake up among the nations and say, I think I'm Israel and call themselves by the name of Jacob. Fascinating passage. Uh, a lot of people are demanding that someone go get um, DNA tests to prove that they match a certain strand known to be Jewish, particularly European Jewish. And if you don't have that, they say, oh, you're not one of them. Well, Isaiah clearly has a different idea. Uh, that's probably not going to be the way it's going to happen. People lining up to sign up for Ancestry.com, though I encourage you to do that if you feel so inclined. But this is a fascinating passage, and again, we have no ambiguity, no doubt whatsoever that the servant is called Jacob, the servant is called Israel. Now look down at verse 21 um, of Isaiah 44, verse 21, remember these things, O Jacob, for you, O Israel, are my servant. I fashioned you. You are my servant. O Israel, never forget me. Any question mark there? Like, do you read that and you say, I wonder what, who the servant is? No, these are, these are pretty clear. Like, beyond pretty clear. These are very definite. Israel, Jacob, my servant. Now look at verse 26. 
confirm the word of my servant and fulfill the prediction of my messengers. It is I who say of Jerusalem it shall be inhabited, and of the towns of Judah they shall be rebuilt, and I will restore their ruined places. Again, in the context, we're dealing with the servant, mentioning of a servant, but the servant is already identified for us here, very, very obviously. Now, look at chapter 45 of Isaiah, and I want to make a, a, a stopping point here just to make this observation. Second Isaiah, contrary to what people believe, does not really advance what we call an individual Messiah. <clears throat> people have uh, debated this. It's, it's one of the, the other hot topics is, is there a personal Messiah, the Messiah, HaMashiach as people call it. Uh, and, and that's not so prevalent as people might think, particularly in 2nd Isaiah chapter 40 through 66. But in this particular case, I like to give uh, a nod and say, here is an example where Messiah is mentioned. The Messiah of Jehovah is clearly mentioned here in Isaiah 45, and it's a Persian. So, I, you know, I get a kick when people talk about you know, they debate what, who is the Messiah, what's the Messiah, and you'll typically get, particularly from the Jewish understanding, you'll get, oh, it's a descendant of David, it's this, it's that, it's, you know, and they go through, he's going to rebuild the temple, he's going to regather the tribes, and if he didn't do that, hands on the hips, it's not a Messiah. Well, let's read our Bible and see what the Bible says about what is and what is not a Messiah. Because a lot of the texts that they use to define Messiah do not have the word Messiah attached to them. So find for me a place where it says in the Bible, for instance, that the Messiah, the Messiah will rebuild the temple. Uh, and send that to my personal email if you don't mind. I would appreciate looking at that with you. But in this case, in Isaiah 45, 1, a Messiah is in fact described. Thus says Jehovah, or the Lord, to Cyrus, his Messiah. Okay? In Hebrew, this clearly indicates that Cyrus is the Messiah of Jehovah. And he tells what he's going to do. And uh, it's very interesting to consider when we do a study on the idea of Messiah. But that's not what I'm looking at in Isaiah 45. Please go with me to verse 4, because the Messiah's role here, the Persian Messiah's role, is it has to do with God's elect. And notice in verse 4, for the sake of my servant Jacob, the sake of my servant uh, Jacob, Israel my chosen one, I call you by name, I hail you by title, though you have not known me. So that would be a fun class, the Messiah that knew not God. I might do that. I think I'll write that down. So the idea, though, is let's get biblical in terms of what these uh, definitions really are according to the text. But again, Isaiah 50, uh, 45, 4 uh, leaves no guesswork as to who is um, the servant. Right? You could put this in your column. Jacob is the servant, Isaiah 45, 4. Now look with me at Isaiah 48, Isaiah 48 and verse 20. Go forth from Babylon, free from, flee from Chaldea, declare this with loud shouting. Announce this, bring out the words to the end of the earth and say... The Lord, Jehovah, has redeemed his servant, Jacob. His servant, Jacob. So far, it's consistent, right? Has anybody had any doubt who the servant is? So you go, well, why are we even doing this series? I mean, it's so easy. And the reason I'm doing what I'm doing now this morning is because some people say, they go through these verses I'm going through, and they go, see, Israel's a servant. All right, look at chapter 49, Isaiah 49, and verse 1. Listen, 
O coastlands to me. Give heed, O nations afar. The Lord appointed me before I was born. He named me while I was in my mother's womb. He made my mouth like a sharpened blade. He hid me in the shadow of his hand. He made me like a polished arrow. He concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I glory. So that everybody agrees that goes in the Israel is the servant column, right? Now, this one is interesting. Um, All of them are interesting, but this one interests me in a great way because who is speaking here? The servant. You see that? He concealed me. He made me. I'm working my way back up. He hid me. He made my mouth. Uh, He named me while I was in my mother's womb. He appointed me. Listen to me, coastlands. So the servant is speaking. And verse 3, the servant identifies himself as Israel by saying that he, meaning God, said to me, meaning Israel, you are my servant Israel. In these passages... And these passages only. Now, remember, I'm only dealing with Isaiah, that portion, chapter 40 through 66. So if you're thinking, well, we have other texts which call Israel the servant. Yes, and I've gone through most of those. Uh, there are other passages in the Bible, but I'm, I'm, I want to focus on Isaiah's words. So uh, here in these passages... There is something that's very, very clear, and that is that the servant within Isaiah thus far, that we've covered so far, is Israel or Jacob, the physical descendants. This is a nation that was saved to serve. Remember, we went through the accounts in the Pentateuch about how uh, Israel was set, let my people go, me, that they might serve me. So from the very beginning, Israel's role was to be a servant. So they're saved to serve, and this makes this point. Many have looked at the passages that I just went through, and what they have identified is what they believe is proof that the servant in Isaiah is Israel throughout. And that it's only Israel, and that it cannot be anyone else. And if you only look at what we read here, based on these, you would come to a similar uh, conclusion. Which now leads me to bring forth other evidences from the text of Isaiah chapter 40 through 66, um, other texts that speak of the servant or where the, the servant speaks first person, where the identity of the servant is less certain, okay? Because you, you can, we, we all agree that the ones we just covered, those are Israel, those are Jacob, clearly, clearly. But what if I can show you some text where it's not so clear? That's where we're going next. Here are a few examples where the servant is not specified. And we could say, I think that it's probably Israel because of all these other evidences. But let's not jump ahead. Go to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 and verse 1. Isaiah 42 and verse 1, and this is, I'm going to read a section within the white spaces. So it says, this is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall teach the true way to the nations. He shall not cry out or shout aloud or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break even a bruised reed or snuff out even a dim wick. He shall bring forth the true way 
He shall not grow dim or be bruised till he has established the true way on the earth and the coastlands shall await his teaching or his Torah. Now, did anyone hear a name? No. Now, you could say, well, it's safe to assume that this is also Israel, but I want you to put this in a column that says unidentified servant. This this would be an unidentified because the name is not mentioned. Uh, It doesn't say Israel. It doesn't say Jacob. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying it's not clear in the text. Now look at verse 5. I'm going to keep reading. Uh, Verse 5 through 9. Thus said God the Lord, uh, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what is what it brings forth, who gave breath to the people upon it, life to those who walk thereon. I, the Lord, in my grace have summoned you and have grasped you by the hand. I created you and appointed you a covenant people, a light of nations, opening eyes deprived of light. See, again, this translation is not so literal, but I'm going to keep with it. Rescuing prisoners from confinement, From the dungeon, those who sit in darkness, I am the Lord Jehovah, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another, nor my renown to idols. See the things once predicted have come, and now I foretell new things announced to you ere they sprout up. Now in verse 6, where it says, um, I, I give you, literally in the Hebrew, I give you or I put you, it's a masculine singular. So you, you, might, you might be inclined to associate this with a singular figure uh, because the masculine singular is used quite uh, frequently in what I just read. Um, but it, notice it says, whoever this is, is appointed as a covenant people, a light to nations. Now, in a previous class, I covered an association with that language and another text, but I'm not going to go into that at the point, uh, at this point. Now go with me, look at verse 19 of Isaiah 42, uh, verse 18. Listen, you who are deaf, you blind ones, look up and see. Who is so blind as my servant, so deaf as the messenger I send? Who is blind as the chosen one, So blind as the servant of the Lord, seeing many things, he gives no heed. With ears open, he hears nothing. The Lord, Jehovah, desires his servant's vindication that he may magnify and glorify his Torah. Interesting, what we have is the servant here is defined as being blind, utterly blind, and deaf, utterly deaf. Imagine... The one whose job it is to, to magnify the Torah to the nations, he's blind and deaf. How's that going to work? This theme shows up. Now, interestingly enough, in none of these passages is Israel clearly identified by name, nor is Jacob identified as the servant per se. But this idea of being blind and deaf, spiritually speaking, is nothing new. I want to go through a couple of passages with you because this becomes a clue in the identity question on some of these unspecified servant texts. Go to Deuteronomy 29, please. Deuteronomy 29, uh, and I just want to read uh, verse 4, Deuteronomy 29, 4. Um, let's see, actually verse 3 in the Hebrew Bible, an English Bible would probably be uh, verse 4 if I'm not mistaken. Yet to this day, Jehovah has not given you a mind to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Now in context, he's talking to Israel. Deuteronomy 29.1, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, and then in verse 3 or verse 4 in the English Bible, it says, you, you have not been given eyes to see, a heart to understand, eyes to see, ears to hear. Look with me. Let's go back to Isaiah, though. Isaiah is big on this theme of blind and deaf, 
particularly in regards to the servant. If you go to Isaiah 6, I'm going to read verse 8 through 10. Isaiah 6, verse 8 through 10. And it says, Then I heard the voice of my Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go say to that people, Hear indeed, but don't understand. See indeed, but don't grasp. Dull that people's mind, stop its ears, seal its eyes, lest seeing with its eyes and hearing with its ears, it also grasp with its mind and repent and save itself. Very interesting language. Isaiah's in the throne room. He sees what he says in the vision. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, and his train fills the the temple, if you will, the Hekal. It's this vision that he has, and he's listening in on a conversation, and they say, who shall we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, "I'll, I'll go, I'll go. But notice, he gets a mission to blind and to deafen, basically. And he asks the question in the following verses, how long will this exist? And we're given another clue. He says, until the houses are without people, the ground is desolate and waste, and so forth. So this kind of tells us that there is a duration indicated, a timeline, if you will, as to when the potential blindness can be cured and the deafness can be cured as well, see? So it's, but it's going to be for a period of time. Now, I want you to look at Isaiah 29. Now, notice I'm not in Deutero-Isaiah here. I'm, I'm in an earlier uh, portion of the text, Isaiah 29, uh, and I think I want to start in verse 9. Yeah, Isaiah 29, 9. And I'll read through 11. Act stupid and be stupefied. Act blind and be blinded. They are drunk, but not from wine. They stagger, but not from liquor. For the Lord has spread over you a spirit of deep sleep and has shut your eyes, the prophets, and covered your head, the seers, so that all prophecy has been to you like the words of a sealed document. See, this is very interesting because once again, Uh, There seems to be a, uh, from heaven, a stupor, a trance, a sleep that that causes or prevents the people from understanding what's going on, right? And it's a shutting of the eyes and a closing of the ears. Now look down uh, at verse 18. And I know I'm skipping, I'm not reading everything in context, but just to make a point, uh, in that day, whatever day it's talking about, there's some context there that helps us to identify that. The deaf shall hear even written words, and the eyes of the blind shall see. So there are the words of a scroll, literally. So at some point, a manuscript... A safer comes forward and the words of this scroll, when they're made public, they will open the ears of people that were formerly somewhat deaf. What is that book? The blind and the deaf imagery is uh, very much a part of Second Isaiah. Now, The language in Isaiah chapter 42 dealing with the the servant, even though we don't get a name, it could be viewed, it could be interpreted as an individual and not as the nation. You follow me? In other words, it, it might not be Israel, even though the language is similar. I'm I'm leaving it open at this point. It could be Israel. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's an individual. Maybe it is a historical figure or a a yet-to-appear figure. The servant that is described here seems to be an individual, but it does not necessarily need to be understood in that way. Remember now, when we went through Daniel chapter uh, 7, There was a method to the reason I laid things out the way I did as I worked through this prophet series. 
Daniel chapter 7 is almost always, anciently and modern times, to modern times, viewed as the, a description of a singular individual, Messiah. And I beheld in the throne, and the ancient of days did sit, and one came up to him like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. You know this, this Daniel chapter 7. But if we read in context without jumping in and providing an interpretation uh, of our own, if we say, I wonder what it meant, and we read, it tells us what that means. The one to whom the kingdom is given is not a Messiah figure coming on the clouds. It's not an individual. Put any name in there you want. It's not that. It's the people of Israel. It's a restoration of the kingdom. And that's what Daniel 7 means. So even though the language would cause you to look at this and say, oh, it's an individual, be careful. Because sometimes the clues within the text will tell you differently. So I know there are people who understand uh, some of these servant passages as describing an individual. I caution you, be careful. That's all I'm saying. Because you did that, some of you did that with Daniel chapter 7, and we can read there that that's clearly not the case. We have to look at it very uh, closely if we want to understand this. Now go with me to Isaiah 49, Isaiah 49, and I want to read verses uh, 1 through 3. Isaiah 49, 1 through 3 again. Listen, O coastlands, to me, and give heed, O nations afar. The Lord appointed me before I was born. He named me while I was in my mother's womb. He made my mouth like a sharpened blade. He hid me in the shadow of his hand. He made me like a polished arrow. He concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I glory. There we go. Clearly, Israel is identified. We read this a moment ago. Israel is identified and Israel is speaking. Hmm. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I glory. Now, so the servant is speaking. Now let's look at verse 4. Now remember who's speaking. The servant. Who is the servant? Israel. But listen. Verse 4. I thought, this is Israel saying this, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for empty breath, but my case rested with the Lord. My recompense was in the hands of my God. And now the Lord is resolved. He formed me, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to himself that Israel might be restored to him. And I have been honored in the sight of the Lord. My God has been my strength. For he said... Is it too little that you should be my servant in that I raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the survivors of Israel? I will also make you a light of nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Speaker is established as Israel, right? I mean, that's very clear. But the Israel, the servant, clearly identified in verse 3, is now saying that he's told that your job is to restore Israel, to raise up Jacob. So Israel is to save Israel. Position, heal yourself. It's like servant, save yourself. Very interesting passage. We'll get to that. But this idea that says uh, from the womb, you know, this is an identifier that we have to pay attention to because we're going to look at some figures, some persons in the biblical text, historical figures that, that could possibly be candidates, right? But I want to look at what Isaiah says about from the womb. Let's quickly go through those while we touch this. Uh, Isaiah 44, Isaiah 44, 1 and 2. But hear now, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I've chosen. Thus says the Lord, your maker, your creator, who has helped you since birth. Literally in Hebrew, that's from the womb, right? Fear not, my servant Jacob, Jeshurun, whom I've chosen. Look down at verse 24. Let's see, we got this mentioned again. 
Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. See, talking about Jacob. Uh, Look at chapter 46, verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all that are left of the house of Israel, who have been carried from the womb. See, supported you since leaving the womb. Look at 48.8. By the way, every occurrence of someone being chosen from birth in Deutero-Isaiah, Isaiah 40 through 66 is always, 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 always talking about Israel or Jacob, okay? Verse 8, you had never heard, you had never known, your ears were not opened of old, though I know that you are treacherous, that you were called a rebel from birth. It's talking about the house of Jacob. But I want you to notice something that the language here describes something they hadn't heard, something they had not known. Don't forget this clue. Don't forget it. You're going to need it later. See, because what what we want to do is whenever we read in Isaiah 49, and there's no identifier uh, uh, in some texts, but in Isaiah 49 it says very clearly that Israel is a servant even when we get to a place where the speaker is established, you know, even if there's some ambiguity there, you, you have to take it for what it says, okay? Now, this servant has a task, and even though Israel is identified as a servant, and the servant is speaking here, and the servant identifies himself as Israel, and the servant reveals that his task is to raise up and gather in Israel, don't be thrown off by that. What it appears to be is that Israel is to bring about a restoration of Israel. Israel the servant is to bring back Israel. Now, what way can that make sense? Is it a, could it be a group within the group, maybe? Could it be a group who hears something that they hadn't heard or recognizes something that they hadn't recognized or comes to accept something, including a mission to magnify the Torah, could it be? Is the servant a person or a group? <clears throat> Look at Isaiah 50. <clears throat> Excuse me. Isaiah 50, uh, verse 4 through 7 is the third servant song identified by doom. And, you know, if you go through, it says, morning, excuse me, morning by morning, verse 4, he wakens my ear. This, whoever this is, can hear. Wakens my ear. Uh, the Lord God opened my ears. I did not disobey. I didn't run away. I offered my back to the floggers, my cheeks to those who tore out my hair, didn't hide my face from insult and spittle. This person is being abused, oppressed, but they hear. They hear. And, And if you go through, you get this feeling, you ought to feel the uh, the emotion of this text. And then verse 10, look, it says, Who among you reveres Jehovah and heeds the voice of his servant? Though he walks in darkness and have no light, let him trust in the name of Jehovah and rely upon his God. This mentions the servant, but it appears that it's describing uh, the servant according to the words of the servant himself. Does that make sense? Now look at Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52 and verse 13. This is the beginning of the fourth servant song. The beginning of the fourth servant song. It runs from 50 to 13 if we follow the white spaces, through 53.12. So you have to, you have to, people often talk about, uh, if you just read Isaiah 53, it's very clear, you know, this person is clearly indicated here. 
You have to start in 5213. But I would even suggest that you can go back, that there's more, even before the white space. Like, for instance, if you go to verse 7, uh, in verse 7 it says, uh, How welcome on the mountain are the footsteps of the herald announcing happiness, heralding good fortune, and so forth. Uh, this particular passage we talked about, we covered in other classes, and it's actually almost a direct quote from a passage that we have in the book of Nahum, Nahum. So we, we have to think, is this messenger, the feet of this messenger on the mountains, is this, does it tie to Isaiah chapter 40 and the messenger and so forth? So you have to kind of get all of these things straight in your head. So I don't want to suggest that if someone just reads Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12, they can clearly identify the servant. I don't believe that, and it's why we're only now getting to Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. But it begins in 52, 13. Indeed, my servant shall prosper, be exalted and raised to great heights. Now, this passage runs, like I said, for 15 verses. I want, to, I want to tell you, going into this, that servant is mentioned two times in this fourth servant song of Bernhard Doom. It's called the Suffering Servant Song. Everybody knows this. Everybody who's listening to me today is familiar with this. You probably already have this figured out. Who is this talking about? Mise, who is this? So most of you probably already know, so we could probably just skip this class. But I want to keep going anyway. Uh, so it begins, it tells us, it mentions a servant in the beginning. And once towards the end of the verse, or towards the end of the passage, it tells us in verse 11, go down to 5311. Um, and this is the English of the JPS, so I'm just going to go with it. Out of his anguish, he shall see it. He shall enjoy it to the full through his devotion. My righteous servant makes the many righteous. It is their punishment that he bears. So again, you have the servant mentioned at the beginning of the song and the servant mentioned towards the end of the song. And, and listen, these two references to servant are the last times we'll see it in Isaiah. Last time. Now, again, I believe that if you bring in things like Isaiah 61 through connecting the language, the phrases, the words, that's one thing. But I mean, from 2nd Isaiah, this is the last time we encounter servant, my servant, particularly my servant. So I'm going to read Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. From the JPS. Now, at the close of my class, I intend to read it from a more literal translation, uh, but I want to read it in this version now. Indeed, my servant shall prosper, be exalted and raised to great heights, just as many were appalled at him. So marred was his appearance, unlike that of a man, his form beyond human semblance. Just so he shall startle many nations. Kings shall be silenced because of him. For they shall see what's not been told them, shall behold what they never had heard. Who can believe what we have heard? Upon whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he has grown by his favor like a tree crown, like a tree trunk out of arid ground. He had no form or beauty that we should look at him. No charm that we should find him pleasing. He was despised, shunned by men, a man of suffering, familiar with disease, as one who hid his face from us. He was despised, we held him of no account, yet it was our sickness that he was bearing, our suffering that he endured. We accounted him plagued, smitten, and afflicted by God, but he was wounded because of our sins, crushed because of our iniquities. He bore the chastisement that made us whole, and by his bruises we were healed. We all like went astray like sheep, each going his own way, and the Lord visited upon us, uh, upon him, the guilt of all of us. He was mis- maltreated, 
yet he was submissive. He did not open his mouth. Like a sheep led to slaughter, like a ewe dumb before those who shear her, he did not open his mouth. By oppressive judgment, he was taken away. Who could describe his abode? He was cut off out of the land of the living. Through the sin of my people who deserve the punishment. And his grave was set among the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no injustice and had spoken no falsehood, but Jehovah the Lord chose to crush him by disease that if he made himself an offering for guilt, he might see offspring and have long life. And that through him, the Lord's purpose might prosper. Out of his anguish, he shall see it. He shall enjoy it to the full through his devotion. My righteous servant makes the many righteous. It is their punishment that he bears. Assuredly, I will give him the many as his portion. He shall receive the multitude as his spoil. For he exposed himself to death and was numbered among the sinners. Whereas he bore the guilt of the many and made intercession for sinners. Who is speaking? Is it the same voice throughout? Listen. No. It's not the same voice. What I want you to imagine is walking into a crowd. Let's put the crowd in Jerusalem just because that's what I want you to do. You walk up on a crowd and there's, you can hear people talking. There's going to be in a moment a singular voice that rises above the din of the crowd. You'll hear one voice come out. The others will quiet down. Then I want you to recognize that a shift takes place. And what we then have is the voice of a group. What is the group? Who is the group? It's a whole other question. First, I want you to begin to recognize voice. I want you to see this is why we're doing this. I want you to recognize. People read through text all the time and they don't see a shift. This is very important. In the opening, vo- in the opening verses... We have a singular speaker that, that speaks from Isaiah 52, 13 through 15. It, it's very clear that this is a singular voice that begins the servant song here. And I'll demonstrate that. 52, 13, <clears throat> speaker says, Indeed, my servant shall prosper, be exalted, and raised to great heights. Just as many as were appalled at him, so marred was his appearance unlike that of a man. This person, this voice is, is speaking. It's almost like you could imagine the servant standing here. And this, this voice is saying, this, my servant, shall be exalted. Now, in verse 1 of 53, there's no break. There's no break in the text. But I want you to recognize a change in the speaker. This person who's speaking gets quiet. And then you hear the crowd say, who has believed our report? Okay? Let me indicate a few points just going through where it's, uh, where it's a plural group. Uh, who has believed what we have heard? That's verse 1. Uh, verse 2, if you go through... Um, we and us, that we should look at him, that we should desire him, you see. It's a group. We esteemed him not, borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, verse 4. We esteemed him stricken, verse 4. Wounded, pierced for our transgressions, verse 5. Crushed for our iniquities, verse 5, plural, see, our, 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 our. Brought us peace, verse 5. We are healed, verse 5. All we like sheep, verse 6. We have turned, verse 6. The iniquity of us all, verse 6. Any question? You see what I'm doing there? It's like you're, you're looking, this whole conversation is going on. You hear the first voice, singular, then you hear a group. We, we, our, our, us, us, us. Now, verse 7, it's kinda, it kind of gets tricky here. How do, how do we look at verse 7? 
because it seems to be maybe a change, not quite so obvious. But by the time you get to verse 8, what you get is uh, for the transgression of my people. Now, that, that could be uh, speaking on behalf of a group still. Because I could say, um, you know, I could say something and say my people and still be talking on behalf of the group. So it's not definite there. But if you go to verse 11, midway through verse 11, my righteous servant makes the many righteous, as this translation has it. It is their punishment that he bears. It seems to me now that that singular voice has stepped in again. You know, it's like this, this group was saying uh, this, all these indicators and all these descriptions of the servant, and then you hear that other voice step in and say, my righteous servant. This is the way I read it. Clearly, there are differences of opinions as to the identity of the voices in this section as well as the identity of the servant. Now, one thing is certain. You can put this in your notes. There is a lot of uncertainty. The most certain thing about this section of Isaiah is that there is a lot of uncertainty. These 15 verses that we just read are among the most contentious, uh, the most debated in the whole Bible, anciently and into the modern day. If you go to a scholarly website and do a search for articles on Isaiah 52 and 53, you'll be amazed. There are books after books after books. Some Jewish text, and there are a lot of different uh, solutions to this, some Jewish text, Midrashim and the Targum and and, uh, references in the Talmud, claim that Isaiah 52 through 53, these, these 15 verses, that they represent a suffering Messiah. This is not just a Christian idea. There are passages in the Talmud where Isaiah, this, the one who suffers, is the Messiah. Now, by the way, remember, the Messiah is not mentioned at all in 52, 13 through 53, 12. It is in 45 where the Persian is the Messiah, but the, the Messiah is not mentioned. But the Talmud says that this is a messianic passage. Uh, some sources claim that the, des- the description de- that we get here is about the Jewish people. You know, Tovia Singer has uh, his two-volume set, Let's Get Biblical. One of the things that he really brings forward, and he's not alone in this, is that even if the language seems to be describing the suffering of an individual, that it is, it is generally uh, misunderstood when you go that route, that it's the Jewish people. And God knows the Jewish people have suffered. So that's an option. It's a candidate. Are the Jewish people, particularly the Jewish people, uh, and I'm careful with my language. You might say, what about the Israelite people? Well, that, I'm, I mean the Jewish people when I say the Jewish people here. Some have suggested that this is a, uh, a group within the group a remnant, which would make sense given what we read in Isaiah 49, how the servant is Israel and the servant Israel is to bring back Israel. That makes sense. That could be a candidate. You know, when you think about it, there is a a group within the group. Israel is to be gathered by who? By Israel, a servant within the servant. Christianity sees these verses describing the suffering of Jesus. Now, I know a lot of people out there say, I've been there, I've got the T-shirt, I used to be a Christian, I'm not anymore, I threw all that out. Well, don't be so quick. Don't be so fast. This, because some people say, oh, there's no way it matches the career of Jesus. I'm talking about the historical Jesus. So I'm going to go through this. I'm going to, I mean, we're going to look at this. Is that a viable possibility? If we're going to look at, is it, could it be the Jewish people, then we're also going to look at, could it be Jesus of Nazareth? Could it be? And, and I don't care where people fall out now in their theology. That's not my concern. I want to know the truth. I want to know what these texts are saying. And by the way, Isaiah 53, when it describes one who suffers, if you go, well, I know one thing, it's not Jesus. Well, 
you, you say that now, we're going we're gonna to see how you feel. We're going to go through it. I'm not suggesting you're going to change your view. But I will say this. How do we know that this is a positive figure versus a negative figure? It pleases God to crush this one. Ever think of that? We're going to look at that. Others have proposed another historical figure. Uh, you know, the, have you ever heard of Sadia? Gaon, he's this uh, born in Upper Egypt, and and uh, he's known as Rasag, Rabbi Sadia Gaon, and uh, he wrote in Judeo Arabic. Great commentator, eight eighty two. Some say eight ninety two for a birth date uh, through nine forty two C.E. The Common Era, and he proposed that these texts describe Jeremiah. And as far as I know, I think he's probably the first to describe as Jeremiah. But there are texts in Jeremiah we're going to go through that make us think this does describe the career of Jeremiah. I mean, if you look at, uh, which we will, you look at some of these texts, you'll be like, wow. Mordecai Schreiber, in his book, The Man Who Knew God, that's what he says. He said, this is Jeremiah. So this is actually, and by the way, if you have the Jewish study Bible and you look up the notes, that's who uh, is is mentioned all through there. Open up to Isaiah 53 and read there. It's a fabulous notes on why some Jewish commentators have put forward from early, early that this is describing Jeremiah. So is it? I don't know. We'll have to go through that. The man who knew God is the name of that book. So who is the suffering servant? Is it the Messiah or is it a Messiah? Is it Israel, Jacob, Jewish people, uh, the historical Jesus of Nazareth? Is the person here a positive figure or a negative figure? What does it mean it pleased God to crush this person? You know, that's kind of strange. Uh, Is it Jeremiah the prophet? Is it Isaiah? You know, I'm reminded in uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, I remember this, you know, because you you grow up from the time you're little bitty and packing your little Bible around all your life, which I have done, uh, and, you know, you memorize things. And I remember this story about this Ethiopian eunuch who's reading, it's in Acts chapter 8, he's reading uh, Isaiah. And he gets upon this part about the suffering servant, and Philip runs. Philip's fast. Philip runs, and he catches up because the Lord sends him there, and he says, do you know uh, who, what you're reading? You know, do you understand that, or could you use a handy Bible interpreter like me? I think I added that, but it, and and the the Ethiopian eunuch says, uh, is he speaking about himself or about someone else? So that's my question. Is Isaiah speaking about himself here? Is it Messiah, Jacob, Israel, Jewish people, historical Jesus? I'm not talking about the Christ of faith. Don't get nervous, but I am going to survey this material and say, is there something there? Is it Jesus, Isaiah, Jeremiah, We're going to survey these options, but we're not going to do it this week. We'll start into this survey beginning next week. Shabbat Shalom, Shavua Tov. Thanks for joining with me, and I'll see you next Saturday.